Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, when I was doing the background study, I studied Herod, how he died. Do you know that when he died, he died a horrible death, by the way, but, but when he died, they finally found, it, it, within our lifetime, folks, and even our teenagers' lifetime, they found where Herod himself is now buried. They have the writings now to know that Herod was placed upon a coffin-like structure that was solid gold, completely arrayed in all the best jewels he possibly could be arrayed in. He, he had flowers put all around him, probably because he died such a horrible, painful, disgusting death that he stunk so badly. So they put that all around him. Hundreds and hundreds of his military people marched him to his tomb to lay him in his tomb. And that was a king who was dead, 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 let alone the life that he had. Now, I'm not exalting Herod. I'm just letting you know. Culturally, kings always had the very best. Now, let's fast forward it to Hawaii history. When you have Hawaii history, early on when you have King Kamehameha, he had power, he had authority, it wasn't just a figurehead. When he walked, he would walk. If you came into a shadow, you would die. They couldn't eat male and female together, so he had responsibility, he had authority, he had power, he had everything he claimed to be. Now let's fast forward it, 200 years, put it back into England now. Nothing against you that are from England that are listening from this. But it is common knowledge that even the Queen of England today is more of a figurehead than a person of real authentic power. Now the power she might have would be influenced because you can't do certain things with her. That's why when Michelle Obama put her hand on, it, on her back, on the Queen's back, that there was a little bit of, whoa, you don't touch this queen, but there's no authority. She's not going to go to jail or anything. There's no authority with that. I'm saying all that to say kings, whether you had real authority or whether you had um, perceived power and authority, you were still seen upon as being wonderful, glorious people, great, powerful people. Well, Jesus was saying, by way of example, that in this situation, there was a meekness about him. He did not come on a white horse. He did not have all this regalia around him. He did not have a crown of jewels on his head. He was a humble man, a man that was nothing more than a carpenter, getting ready to die a very humble, shameful death that he knew he was going to die. He was coming in Jerusalem ahead of time, and he didn't just get on a small pony. He got on the, the smallest, babiest of donkeys that was used by the poorest of people. And I got thinking... In a sense, in his mother's womb, he came into Bethlehem on a donkey. And now he is coming to a kingly reign temporarily here, as perceived by the people, on a donkey. said all that to say this. When I read that and I saw that here is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who someday will set up his rule and reign, but right now is an example for us here, what real people today, not future reign, today. Pastor, you're a leader do you have to drive the biggest cars? Do you have to have the finest of clothes? Do you have to have the newest of that? Do you have to usurp your image of being powerful? Do you have to bark at people to give them orders? Do you have to manipulate and intimidate people to get them to do things? That's not how Jesus was. As a teacher, he was meek. As a leader, it said he was meek. And so if I'm going to teach, I need to be meek. If I'm going to lead, I need meekness. And here's the beauty, beautiful part of all of this. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, I now have Christ in me, the hope of glory, which is a meek teacher ability, and I have a meek leader ability because I am connected to Christ in the exchange life. 
Now, the real question boils down to, do you want Christ or not? Now, does that mean you won't be influential? In other words, you won't influence people? You won't teach? Now, I'm going to tell you that I really sense from Scripture that it's through meekness that I'll influence more people than any other way. And I don't know where you are today. You might like to live all by yourself in some condo where that you can just do what you like. And I'm not speaking about anybody in particular that might live in a lonely condo. But I'm saying you are a powerful man. You're a powerful woman by the spirit of meekness. And so you just come and you love people. So you don't have to have a crowd that answers to you. You just be a person who's sweet and kind and gentle. And you'll be so sought after as a person of influence, as a teacher and as a leader. Now notice what Paul said here. The Apostle Paul referred to the meekness and gentleness of Christ this way. Would you look at it? It says, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, and the only thing I'd like to say about that, that even though you see meekness and gentleness often interchanged in Scripture, apparently there is a difference between meekness and gentleness because the Spirit of God would not be redundant in this. He is making a distinction between the two. So you have meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. Hmm, I thought that's interesting. I put next to my little margin here that his, his bark was louder than his bite. You know what I mean? He was meek when he was with people, but behind there, he still had this sense of, you know, I wish they'd get with the program. And I thought maybe there's a little bit of a balance in there as well. He still realized that people's skills demand meekness. Then I left you with an Old Testament reference. I hesitated to do this because he's such commonly used, but for some of you that are new, you might be surprised that Moses, who led millions of Jews at a very conflicted time in the Jewish history, in a very difficult part of the world, without all the encumbrances of life that he could have to bless him, he was still known as the man Moses was very meek above all the men who were upon the face of the earth at that time. Meek or gentle or humble or whatever else. So if I want to look back to leadership, I don't care how difficult the place in which I lead, how challenged and conflicted the people are whom I lead, I still, like Moses, can be a meek individual of influencing others. And I would hope to release you into that world someday when you get out there. Okay, let's go on and talk a little bit about how I could demonstrate this as we bring this message now to a close. We need to earn the right to be heard. We need to earn the right to be heard. And one of the ways we earn the right to be heard is not putting in front of our, us our titles, but putting in front of us a spirit of meekness. Now, our dear friend Trevor read this, and he says, and I'll read it to you again. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive or be argumentative, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and then it says, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If God might, remember it's still a sovereign God, that God might give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him by his will. Now, when you read that big choppy sentence, you're probably wondering, what in the world is he saying? So let me remind you what it is saying. First of all, let's say that you're in a conflict with another individual or that person is having some real problems, parents with kids, Maybe mates, maybe people on your job, maybe someone that you work with, maybe kids with your friends, etc. First of all, that passage is assuming that that person is conflicted because Satan has taken him captive. That person has taken him captive in their mind at least because that person has chosen to do that. In other words, he decided to think differently than the Bible so that when you think differently than God, then you're underneath Satan's tremendous influence. You come into that person's life and you see that they're conflicted, that they're having problems. You decide to take the high road because it says to be gentle unto all men. So no matter how bad this person is, how difficult their life is, 
then what you want to do is you want to be heard. And you know for them to hear you, you're going to have to power down a little bit because if not, if you're going to uh, speak to a fool, you, you're going to be very difficult. If it's a scorner, you're going to get it right back on you. So you want to try to power down a little bit with a spirit of gentleness. Then when you come to this person, your spirit is to give them information. But you do it believing that God might change their mind, not you. So you don't have to keep hammering them until they change their mind. You just have to love them with a spirit of gentleness, come alongside them, understand where they are, give them that truth in that spirit of meekness, and then let God deal with it. And you walk away being available to the Lord's use should you need to come back to that person again and again. But you do it very kindly. If you lose your right to be heard, which will be done through anger, manipulation, intimidation, nastiness, then you lose an opportunity to minister to them and it's quite possible that person could stay still enslaved by Satan and you didn't deliver them and God will have to use someone else that has a different personality style, one of meekness that might be able to help them. So you want to earn the right to be heard. The best way to do that is to be gentle. And when you are, people like to listen to gentle, kind, sweet people. All right, next is to correct patiently the ignorant and the erring. Same concept again, but I took it from another passage of Scripture. You want to correct patiently the ignorant. That means those that are in prop, that have problems, but they're just ignorant. They got into it because they made stupid choices. They're ignorant people. Then you have the erring person, and this person is erring by choice, not by ignorance. So you have the ignorant and the erring. So let's go on. It says, if a man be overtaken in a fault whether it's ignorance or he did it by his own choice, you who are spiritual, and I would hope that would be all of us, at least more spiritual at that moment than that person, it says, restore such a one in the spirit of what, everyone? Meekness. So we do it in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Let me go back full circle. I'm almost done with this. But in my spirit of meekness, if I'm a spiritual individual, if I'm truly spiritual, then what I'm doing is I'm submitting to the Lord, which the Lord says to me, I've given you wisdom. That person is erring. You can see the error of his ways. You're submitting to me, and I'm telling you to love that person and to exhort that person to help restore that person. I'm also telling you, because you're humbling yourself before me, that if you can be meek with me, who's now going to correct you and direct you, he says, I want you in that same spirit of meekness to go to that other person. So if I remain meek to the Lord, I then will be meek to that other person who is erring and ignorant. And I pray that we'd be that way. I pray that if we had to work on our meekness, it would be before the Lord more so than even other people. Finally, give up your own rights. Give up your own rights. It says here, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, to be gentle, showing all meekness to all men. And you do that by yielding your rights. Last is, meekness is necessary in order to implant God's word in your mind, heart, and life. James 1.21. I'd like for you to do this for me right now. Would you look at your piece of paper? Maybe up on the screen, I don't know. But look at James 1.21 and read it out loud together with me. It says this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right. Now, some people would like to say save your soul from hell. And so, yes, it's true. If you had humbled yourself, the word of God that says if I place my faith alone in Christ, I'll have everlasting life. That word will come inside of me and I'll save my soul. Others will use the word soul and use it as a seed of your emotions. So some of you, you are having so much struggles emotionally and physically. You're all just kind of messed up in this world with your body and mind, your emotions. 
that maybe the saving of your soul will be when you allow God's word to take control and so you give your burden to him you let him take control of your life and the only way that's going to happen is when you meekly go to him and you lean on him now let me suggest this to you how many of you are reading through your Bible not maybe in a whole year but pretty much every day how many of you are reading the word okay I hope so some of you are using our devotional booklet and I'm hearing wonderful words from you that are getting insights from it, but I'd like to always caution you. You put your Bible on top of the devotional booklet. You don't put the devotional booklet on top of the Bible. If you had the choice between reading the devotional booklet or the Bible, try to make sure that you're reading the Bible before you read the devotional booklet. If anything, try to read them together with an open Bible. Now stay with me on this. It's easy when a writer in a devotional book that kind of puts that truth to you in a little candy bar so it makes it easy for you to understand and accept. That's why that booklet is good for you. On the other hand, it is nothing more than a vitamin tablet that God often wants you to take the actual whole context of Scripture and teach you something that will be more meat and have more substance that will stay with you longer. Now, stay with this thought. In order for that word to be implanted within you, it is not going to come through merely reading the Bible. So I want to commend you for reading the Bible, those of you that do that. But if you're finding that you're reading through the Bible, but at the end of it, you don't get a whole lot out of it. And after four or five days of doing this, and it's, it's kind of boring to you. And pretty soon you lose your motivation. Then you start doing it either out of duty or someone reminded you or you feel guilty or whatever the reason is. But you're still not getting a lot out of it. It could be, watch this, that you did not come to the Bible, to the reading of Scripture with a spirit of meekness. So you say, what do you mean by that? How do I have a spirit of meekness? It's where you finally come to your senses as a believer to say, I was desperate for God when I trusted Christ. That's why I needed to trust Him. I needed Him to save me because I can't do it. But that desperation has continued to grow. Yes, He's filled my need, but I'm desperate for Him every day. And so I'm now desperately going to the Word. I am meek. I am lowly. I am humble. I need what you have for me, Lord. So as I go to the Bible now, I'm going with, I want you to change me today. I want you to give me something that will help me to know who you are more, to love you more faithfully and deeply. Give me something from your Word that will teach me how to serve you in a way that will bring glory and pleasure back to you. Now that spirit is the spirit of meekness. When you have that spirit, then the Word of God is implanted supernaturally in you. It's not just information merely for your head. It goes from your head to your heart to your hands because you became a meek person. Now let me tell you, anything apart from that, your Christian life will plateau and even could slide backwards. And he doesn't want that for us. Well, I think I've given you enough truth for you to chew on for a while. Let me give you a couple of... Uh, little thoughts that I've got from the sages of old to answer this question again. If I'm meek, does that mean I have to be weak and a doormat? It's a good question. Does meekness mean that I just roll over and die and just put a sign on my back that says, kick me, go ahead, kick me if you want. And I don't do that. And I think these writers have it done very well. One says this, the meek are not those who are never at all angry for such would be an insensible person. But those who are meek, feeling angry, they control it and are angry only when they ought to be. Meekness excludes revenge, irritability, morbid sensitiveness, but a quiet and steady maintenance of right. Hmm. In other words, a meek person still will have a sensitivity towards rightness, but not towards anger out of control. And those of you that have been in Christianity a long time, no doubt, has heard of A.W. Tozier. And if you haven't, those that are new, you might want to get some of his works. 
While we may not agree with all of his theology, he has good things to say that causes us to think. And here's what he wrote about meekness. He said, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. (laughs) Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimates of his own life. He knows he is as weak and as helpless as God declared him to be. But, paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That's his motto. And I think he really kind of summed up what meekness is all about. Are you ready now to connect with the Lord about your own meekness? Let's do that together. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give you a moment here to reflect on perhaps your week, your personality, your lifestyle, and see if you struggle with meekness or the lack thereof. And maybe right now you could sense that the Spirit of God is loving you. Now, yes, you may be feeling quite guilty over the times you've displayed a whole lot of irritability and anger and angst and You weren't gentle, you weren't kind, you're just the opposite of all of that. Now you could do some things, you can deny it and excuse it away or try to, but you can't because that's a a function of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is letting you know that you've blown it. He's convicting you of that sin. So man up and woman up and boy up and girl up and admit that, that you've blown it with that person. Or perhaps you would go further and say that you really do not have a meek spirit about you. You struggle with it. It's one of your least character traits. And you've had a lifetime of that. Take ownership of that. Now, if you try to deny it and excuse it away, it'll keep hammering you back and you'll continue to reap the results of that pride. And so take it to the throne right now. Take it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I am that person that I don't want to be. I am not a meek individual. I am quick-tempered. I am quick to judge and criticize. I am quick to correct. Slow to compliment. I am quick to poke and slow to praise. And Lord, I'm so sorry for that. And Lord, I'm desperate for you, the meek one, If anybody had a right to fight back, you did. And yet, Lord, you look upon me and my nastiness here. And you said you love me. You love me. And you went to the cross to forgive me of that whole nature that does that. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you now, not promising you that I'm going to change, but I'm coming to you to say that I'm going to you, the one who forgive me of that sin forever and ever, that you will take me into your forever family. And I'm saying to you, Lord, you change me. I'm coming to you as a person who wants your meekness to pervade all through my life. I want a new beginning now. And I come to you by faith alone. And so what you might say to the Lord, those of you that are outside the faith, come meekly to Him now and say, Lord, I need you. I'm humble. I can't do it. I can't even help myself get saved. I need you to actually save me completely from hell. I want you to give me heaven. 
freely. I can't do it, Lord. I don't deserve it. Now, if you're saying that to the Lord and you believe that He's forgiven you of all sin on the authority of His Word, where the meek Savior says, He that believes on me right now has everlasting life. If you'd like for me to pray for you with every head bowed and every eye closed, because you're trusting Christ as your Savior, you're humbling yourself in a spirit of meekness and saying that to the Lord, I'd like to pray for you. So is there anyone in here today that today is the day that you have come to faith in Christ and you'd like for me to remember you in my prayer? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone? All right. Believers, can you look at your life? And we all have wonderful times that we have shown meekness to those that have provoked us. I know that. And I compliment you on that. And then there are those that you can feel the pain of the times you were prickly with other people and you weren't meek with them and you didn't speak with the tone of meekness and my arms are around you because I've got times like that too but don't go so far where Satan takes over that and now you feel like you're worthless and you're nothing and you're terrible and you, you have no future and you're, 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 you're I want you to know that you're a, you're a child of God and that you have hope and you can be changed you're never too young to start this, young people. You can do this. You can change the direction of the whole concept of meekness in your family and legacy. You be the one. And you're not too old for some of you to say, well, that's a new trick for an old dog. I can't do this. I'm going to tell you that you must do this. There's a generation that needs you not only to be meek, but there's a generation that needs to see those of you who have not been meek to show how that as an older person you can change because God's changed you and you let him do it. So together, let's still be humble and kind. Still be bold as a lion and strong as Samson for that which is truth. But let us do it in the spirit of meekness like Jesus did. As a teacher and as a leader. Shall we? How many of you would like to have prayer because you are coming to a point that you need to change and you can't do it. You want to be meek, but you can't make it happen. And you're saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want God to change me. I want His Spirit to so influence me that His meekness will be shown through me. And I'd like you to pray for me. And your head is bowed and your eye is closed so no one can see you. And I'm not going to bother you after the service, but since your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, you can't see that my hand is up. And I'd like you to pray for me. So is there anyone here now that's a believer in Christ that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? God spoke to me through his word today. And I would like to have the meekness of Christ so that I could have the word of God implanted within me. I want to grow. I want to influence others. And I know I have to be meek to do it. But I need him to help me. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone at all right now? Put your hand up that would like for me to pray for you. God bless you. Many hands. Many, many hands. Oh, I'll tell you, the Lord is smiling because you've at least made the choice. Now it's a moment by moment. It's a, it's a one-time choice that you're doing this and then it's a moment by moment surrender to Him and He will do that. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for what we're learning here today. And I pray that in our meekness that we would be strong, 
that meekly we would approach those who are outside the faith and lovingly and gently point them to you, the altogether lovely one who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And I pray that this week that, that when you choose to test us to see if we're relying on you for meekness, that we would not only pass that test, but others would see that we're a fully devoted follower of you and that they would, when they come against us, that they would see us react so differently because it's you now living out that meekness to them. That they would like to know, how did this all happen? And that we could point them to you and perhaps even see someone else have within them, by faith, the new spirit of meekness. And so, Lord, use our church, use our people here, use our young people, use our senior saints, use our leaders, use your, the pastor of this church, Lord, with a spirit of meekness as we follow he who was meek and lowly of spirit, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.